split. Now, meanwhile, over three years, strategies have been made, resources gathered, and volunteers and draftees trained to invite, invite, <laughs> to invade the enemy's stronghold and begin to liberate the captives. The beachhead would be Normandy. Once all the preparations were ready, the invasion would begin. And the date would be known as D-Day. So this verse, to me, is the D-Day of God's rescue plan. The genealogies are completed, the prophecies have been spoken, and the groundwork has been laid. God has drafted Mary and Joseph, and they've accepted their roles. The rescue invasion has commenced with a baby. So this very unusual invasion has a beachhead established by God with the unlikely lowly couple of Joseph and Mary. Now the world has been held captive by the forces of evil. It seems crazy that God would make his plan's most vital character have to survive as a baby. It seems to us to be an upside-down way of doing things. Um, to completely save us from our sins, God has made a plan that involved him choosing to be vulnerable. You know, babies are very vulnerable. Think about this. Um, primates, you know, monkeys and apes, um, if we can go to the next slide, they have a grasp reflex that can support their own body weight so that they can hang on to their mothers as their mothers move about. And they can regulate their own body temperature. Now, human babies aren't like that. Even as the verse mentions the need for swaddling that Mary used, and any of you who've ever cared for a baby or an infant know that you have to be attentive to their needs. I know from my kid's birth that even though they can be strong and do have some natural reflexes, which are really amazing. I mean, I think about it. It's just incredible the way God designed it. They're so amazing. Even though they have these natural reflexes, it's a long time before they can really stand on their own. And researchers have found that babies' brains um, actually require another three years to develop further enough um, that they can function better without assistance. Now, for me... The closer we got to each of our kids' birth, the more I had to ask God that I not be anxious because I knew of all these different things that could go wrong. And that was my, my child. Those were my children, not the Son of God, who had a mass of spiritual forces against him entering the world. They didn't want him to come. And this is definitely a vulnerable and dangerous position for God's Son to begin his earthly mission and for God to place his plan to glorify himself. Now, we can debate and wonder about the exact setting of Jesus' birth. In my opinion, it's not wrong to spend a little time on this, but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Jesus could have been born in the most elaborate place, with the best of everything we know, to the most desirable family, in our opinion, and it would still have been a great act of humility to take place. God knows how we think. He knows our tendency to focus on the wrong things sometimes. So Jesus is given an entry into the flesh so that we could realize this is out of place. This is, this is lowly. 
God chose a setting to confound our thinking so that we would grasp the significance of this first act of humility in Jesus' incarnate life. Now, let's remember once more who we're dealing with here. We're talking about the creator of the universe. And today, scientists are fairly confident that the Milky Way is between 100 and 150,000 light years across. I actually double-checked that last night, and I read somewhere else, 200,000. So what's 50,000 light years, you know? It's not, it seems incredible. But anyway, and the observable universe is, of course, much larger. According to current thinking, it's about 93 billion light years in diameter. Now, I rarely, as you can probably tell, I rarely ever try to contemplate that. But I know that if it's that big, he is bigger. And we're also talking about the designer of waves and of living species, species and their building blocks of DNA. Let's just not take too lightly who we're talking about. So I have a question for you. Was Jesus' entry into the world the first time that we ever saw this quality of humility in God's nature? I would say not. Let's just take a look at a few interactions in the Old Testament. Think about Cain and and uh, Abel, think about Adam and Eve. And God asked them, he asked them things like, how did you know you were naked? And what have you done? And where's your brother? Did he really not know? Of course he knew. He was humbling himself from the beginning, kind of like how we talk to our kids when they know they've messed up, they've done something wrong, and we ask them questions because we want them to own it so that we can instruct them. Now, God didn't have to interact with them that way. But I think that he saw that would be more helpful to them and to us. I'm not trying to minimize their sin, but I'm just trying to emphasize the consistency of God's humility. Now, later, after the Jewish people were rescued from Egypt, Moses was up on the mountain, and the people were down in the valley creating an engraven image right after they'd just been rescued by God from Egypt. And you can read more about that in Exodus 32. And God was going to destroy the Jewish people, but Moses intervened for them, asking God to spare them and not ruin God's glorious name. And God listened. So God did show humility in how he interacted with creation before Jesus' birth. But in his incarnation, we know that Jesus grew up and he continued his mission to glorify the Father. He served by teaching and healing, raising the dead and bringing new ones into his kingdom. And you, and you might ask, could that have been done without him coming in the flesh? Maybe, I guess that could be explored. But Jesus' ultimate act of humility could only have occurred because he took on human flesh. And he spoke it plainly himself in Matthew 20. And he told his disciples, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. And they will sentence him to to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day he'll be raised from the dead. So... What are the results of this willing surrender? 
Well, Paul describes it this way in Colossians. He says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave us our sins. And John records in Revelation, he says, And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In Titus we read, who gave him, He who gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So that touches on something else I want to ask. <laughs> Does God expect us to follow his lead in this humility that he's shown us? Yes, he does want us to join him there. We're told in Philippians, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just like the song we just sang said. Preview. <laughs> uh, Jesus' own instructions are found in Matthew. Again, back in Matthew. And Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, we can clearly see that humility is a characteristic of God. And when God demonstrates his humility, we're going to see he's going to get glory. And he has received glory, and he'll continue to do so. And then, as I mentioned, he wants us to join him. So when God calls, God challenges us to follow these examples, the examples we heard more about last week with um, Mary and with Elizabeth um, and these examples of his own life. So when we follow these examples and we join him, he's also going to receive praise and glory. And so I just, um, just this morning, like to ask you um, daily, but even just in this moment, in what way is God calling you to humble yourself? So let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for um, this opportunity to be together this morning and worship and 
contemplate your word and thank you that it speaks truth to us and we pray that you would help us to choose humility whether it's service or speaking whatever form it is and that you would receive glory from that and be exalted in our actions and time and we pray these things in jesus name